Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week five in a message series from the book of James. And if you've been with us for any of the last four Sundays, you've heard me talk about how James was actually the biological brother of Jesus. And James enters the narrative as a skeptic. So if you're new to church, you would have probably gotten along. And if you're new, if you're a little skeptical about spiritual things, you probably would have gotten along really well with James. People don't realize this, but when Jesus first began talking about who he was, when he first started making claims to deity, when he first started being the son of God, talking about being the son of God incarnate, his, family, his brothers did what any brothers would do. They made fun of him. That's normal brother behavior. Yes, none of you laughed, but I think that was funny. Like they, 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 they made fun of him. They, they were sarcastic with him. They gave him a hard time about it, which I think is kind of part of the deal when you have brothers, right? So Jesus' brothers teased him. They, they were sarcastic with him, and it said that Jesus didn't do very many miracles in his hometown. So James is kind of a group of, of people who were really sarcastic and really cynical about, uh, about Jesus, right out of the gate. And then, an interval of time later, James shows up in the narrative, and he's not only a believer, he's on fire. James, when he puts the pen to the paper, he is fully convinced that his brother was the incarnate son of God. And the the, the only thing we can kind of put together in our head that would create that kind of a jump is the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead convinced his brother that he was the son of God. And that's like we talked about this. You know, if if your brother claimed to be God, he would pretty much have to rise from the dead to convince you. And that's kind of what happened, okay? So James now puts the pen to the paper. And what James is doing is he's writing about the early church. James is... um, He's front and center. He's got a a seat on the 50-yard line to watch the early church come together. He's seeing the first incarnation. The thing is just starting to coagulate. It's just starting to take shape. And James, almost out of the gate, does not like what he sees. He's really direct. The language is really up in your face. So he gets right up in everybody's face out of the gate and he writes this letter to be circulated amongst the early church. And, and in chapter one, we hear this. Everybody, every, all of you, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can we just stop right there for a minute? Can we just talk about how much better a place the world would be if we all applied that? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian for that to make sense, right? Like, that's just, like, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Everybody in the early church is bickering. They're sniping at each other. There's all this, this, this uh, interpersonal stuff going on. Easy does it. James focuses quite a bit on the tongue. In the next chapter, he talks a lot about insiders and outsiders. He sees the early church forming, and they're circling the wagons. They're kind of circling up, and they're going, well, we're in the club, and you guys are outside the club, and the early church is trying to figure out who they want to be in the club. And where James draws the line is the rich and the poor. So he says to the early church, hey, listen, if a rich person comes in, if a a politically connected person comes in, if a really good-looking person comes in, you're giving them a good seat. But if a poor person comes in, you're telling them to go sit at the back. Not cool. 
Now, the way we applied that, when we, when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, our church actually does not have a rich-poor dichotomy according to the scriptures. According to the biblical definition of the word, we are all rich, okay? All of us are rich. You didn't walk in here feeling like, I'm rich, but you are, okay? Globally speaking, you are. So that's not where we take it. The, way, the place we applied it was, who is the person or people group that you hope never shows up to True North? Who is the person or people group that you hope never comes to your church because we're us and they're them and you hope the them stays away? How would that person or people group be treated by you if they rolled in? And if the answer is anything short of a loving welcome, James takes issue with it. And he says, listen, there is no, in God's kingdom, there is no us and them. It's just us. We're all God's children. We're all made in his image. We're all image bearers. And we're called to embrace every one of us, embrace our own brokenness, and love one another. So that's, that's that, and then in the next chapter, I know a long summary today, bear with me. In the next chapter, he talks about gossip. And that's where we ended up last week. We talked a little bit about gossip. And, and James basically breaks this down and says, listen, what's required of us if we're, if we're, um, if, if we're walking with God, what's required of us when we are exposed to gossip? And you're going to be exposed to gossip at some point in your life. It's just a fact. At some point, gossip is going to come your way. You're going to hear some little tasty tidbit about something. And when it comes your way, what's required of you is maturity. Maturity. Maturity enough to not believe everything you hear. And maturity enough to say, I'm going to be a firebreak for the gossip. The fire may spread all over. He says a, a, a small spark can, spread, can set a great forest on fire. When you hear the gossip, when you hear the rumor, when you hear the thing, find a way within yourself to not say, ooh, that's good, who could I tell? Find a way within yourself to say, you know what, that's actually none of my business and I'm not going to spread that at all. And in fact, you should probably go back to the person you're talking about and see them about that. Did you follow that? Cool. So James is right up front. He talks a lot about words. He talks a lot about interpersonal dynamics. And that's where we pick it up this week in chapter 4. This is week 5, but chapter 4 in the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 1. Here we go. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Okay, so what's causing the fights and quarrels among you? Apparently in the first century church, there's bickering. They're back and forth. They're sniping at each other. They're arguing. What's causing the fights and quarrels among you? Well, the problem is every single person James is addressing is all about themselves. Everybody's just in it for themselves. Everybody is just living an inward-bound life. Everyone's focused on what they want. And I want these things, and if I can't get these things, I'm going to be jealous of you. And I'm going to work to take what you have, and I'm going to find a way to get it because I want what I want, and that's what matters to me. Now, when James says you scheme and kill to get it, he's not talking about actual murder. As far as we know, there was not an assassination problem in the first church. Uh, I'm not, uh, as far as we know. Um, 
They're not talking about, okay, you're actually killing people. What James is saying, okay, here's a, here's a great way to apply this. Yeah? We talked a bit about this last week. Here's a great way to apply this. Is your presence in the world life-giving or is it life-taking? Is your presence in the world life-giving or is it life-taking? Are you, when you walk into uh, the break room at the office, when you walk into a gathering, when you approach someone, is the script in your mind thinking I want to be a blessing to this person. I want to encourage this person. I want to add value to this person's life. Or is the script in your mind thinking, I want to be affirmed. I need something today. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get this person to agree with me. Now, here's the deal. We don't pronounce those things consciously. The negative side of that, the, the needy part, we don't pronounce that stuff. It's just sort of embedded in the code. I don't know if you remember, I, I, I'm, I'm probably the, I might be the only, only one here who's old enough to and weird enough to be a fan of. Remember the Terminator movies? Okay, we got a few fans, Terminator movies. The Terminator, once in a while, they would switch perspective and you'd see things through the eyes of the Terminator and you'd see what he saw and then there'd be like, like there'd be all this code running in the background. We're kind of like that. We have this code running in the background. And the code, if we're not careful, the code, if we're not intentional, the code, if we are not purposefully counter-steering against it, the code will pull us towards inward-focused behavior. It will pull us towards, I just am needy today, I want you to affirm me today, I want you to make me feel better about myself today, I am not actually interested in hearing your thoughts, I'm actually just interested in hearing my thoughts come out of your mouth. Did you follow that? Did that go by too quick? Let me hit you with that again. I'm actually not that interested. Here's what will happen if you're not counter-steering against it. Here's what our wheel alignment will pull us into. I'm actually not really interested in hearing your thoughts. I'm just interested in hearing my thoughts come out of your mouth. Way too many people operating like that. And so James is pointing this out in the early church. You're all inward focused. You, you just, all you care about is what you want. You're trying to get something. Every time you interact with another person, you're just trying to get them to do what you want them to do. Every time you interact with another person, you're just trying to get them to love you or want you or like you or, or you know, whatever. And it, it, this doesn't work. This is, this is no good. You're just going to destroy each other. At some point, you're going to have to realize what makes you full and you're going to have to figure out how to live an outward bound life. Now be careful with that, James says, because right now, you can't get what you want. Like the Rolling Stones said, yeah? You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might just find you get what you need, right? So James is basically going, look, you, you're not getting what you want, and here's why. Because you don't ask God for it. You're trying to get what you need from the world around you, and you're not asking the source. You're looking, you're focused on the gift, you're ignoring the giver. God is going to be the source of your satisfaction. God will give you what you need to get through emotionally. But you're missing it. You're just focused on what's right here. And even when you do ask, you don't get what you asked for because your motives are all jacked up. So here's what James is describing. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever observed this phenomenon. Have you ever seen this happen in your children? People in the room with kids. Have you ever seen your son or daughter become obsessed over a Christmas present that they must have? 
Have you ever had a season in your family where there's just that hot ticket item, that toy or that thing that everybody has to have, and your son or daughter caught the fever, and they're like, oh, Dad, I have to have it. Oh, God, please. You know, have you ever had that happen to you? And, and, and then you, you go out and look, find it, and you can't find it because it's all over the place. It's all sold out because it's that item every year that everybody wants. But you find one, and you go out, and you, you beat people down, and you throw a few elbows, and you get in there at Walmart, and you get one. You know, and you come home, and you feel like the hero because you did the thing, and you're so excited. And your son or daughter on Christmas Day sees that thing, and they just lose their ever-loving mind. You know, they're just so excited, and they're thanking you, and they're just, ah. Oh. Have you ever noticed that they're already ignoring it by New Year's Day? Yeah. Oh, the days leading up to Christmas, I just have to have it. And then once they have it, they just kind of move on. And by Easter, they don't even know where it is. You've seen it happen. Are you self-aware enough to see that that also happens to you and me? That also happens to us. Because James says, all you care about is what gives you pleasure. You're just on to the next thing. So what are you focused on today? What's the thing? What do you have to have? Oh, I just, just that car, I have to have it. Oh, there's that relationship I have to be in. If I could just get that promotion at work, if I could just get, uh, if I could just get the, the, the better apartment or the nicer house, if I could just get him to marry me, if I could just get her to marry me, if I could just get anybody to marry me, if I could just find a way to be whole and be healthy and be happy, because I would, then I would be okay. Then I would have what I need. If I just had this, fill in the blank, whatever it might be, if I just had this, then I'd be happy, then I'd be whole, then I'd be satisfied. And what James is saying is, you're looking to a thing to satisfy you. You're running a script that is never going to fill you up. Even if you got the thing, it wouldn't fill you. Even if you acquired the object of your current affection, even if you acquired the object of your current desire, even if you got the thing you're so obsessed with having, at some point, you'd move on from it. And I'm not talking necessarily about the marriage and the relationship, and I'm talking more there about material possessions. But if the shoe fits, wear it. You don't necessarily want the car. Listen now. You don't necessarily want the car. You want how the car is going to make you feel. You don't necessarily want the relationship. You want to feel known, and to know and be known. It's not just that you want to be married or be in a relationship. It's that you want connection and soul satisfaction and, and emotional intimacy with someone. These are good desires. These are things God planted with. There's nothing wrong with wanting a new car or a new thing or, 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 or another thing. But James says when you, you, you don't have it because you don't ask God, and then when you do ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all jacked up. So how do you handle that? How do we handle desires if we want something? Or, or is, it, is it wrong to ask God for something? Absolutely not. You want a car? Knock yourself out. Ask God for the car. But here's what James is saying. You might have better luck if instead of saying, God, please, please, that new Corvette is so awesome. Instead of saying that, maybe say... God, I love that car, but ultimately I want to be satisfied in you. There's a part of me that thinks the car is going to satisfy me, 
And the truth is, it would be cool for a few days, but it would only be an interval of time before I got bored with the car and got used to the car, and the effect of it on me would wear off. But I don't want to be satisfied in a thing. I want to be satisfied in you. And if I could be satisfied in you while driving a Corvette, that would rock. But... My ultimate aim here is to be satisfied in you. James says, you don't get what you want because, because you don't ask right, your motives are all jacked up, and you want only what will bring you pleasure. Well, guess what? This is what James is saying. No thing on the earth is gonna fully and finally satisfy you. No thing on this earth, no relationship, no object, no machine, no thing, nothing, will fully, it, it may satisfy you for a moment, it may satisfy you for a day, a week, or an interval of time, but no thing on this earth or human person can fully and finally satisfy the desire God put in your heart for him. He put a desire in your heart for him. So James is saying, look at you, you interact with each other. He's talking now to the early church. You interact with each other, and it's like all you care about is getting what you want. You're just all about what you want. You're all about me, 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 how you can acquire, how you can help, how the other people in the room can help you feel affirmed, how the other people in the room can help you feel built up, how the other people in the room can help you feel acknowledged and meet your emotional needs. When you operate in business, when you go to work, when you deal even with your family, it's transactional. You're not being sacrificial. You're not living an outward-bound life, and your presence is not life-giving. It is life-taking. You suck the air out of the room. You're just, you're just so internally needy because you keep trying to feed something into that hole that will never, ever fill it. You're never going to be satisfied if you just taste pleasure after pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. You'll, just, you'll be a kid on Christmas who is psyched up to get it for one day, and then eventually the effect will wear off, and, you'll be, and you, it is tragic how many people live their whole lives like that never realizing that the way to be satisfied as a person is not to be inward focused, but outward focused. That there's nothing that's gonna make you miserable faster or in a, in a straighter line than just focusing on you and giving you what you want every minute of the day. You wanna know true satisfaction. You wanna know the satisfaction of your soul. You wanna understand the purpose to which you were born, the reason you're processing oxygen on this planet right now. You were meant to honor God with your life and be a blessing to the world around you, to love the world around you. That's what you were meant to do. That's your purpose. And when you find that, you're gonna find a satisfaction in your soul that no machine or human relationship or thing could ever ever fill. And short of that, and James goes further, like you guys understand James is direct, right? Have you observed James used direct language? What comes next in the scriptures is troubling. This is harsh. If you're new to church, you're going to be like, whoa, where's he going with this? this James continues because what he sees is he sees a group of people in the early church who've pledged fidelity to God. They've said, I'm yours. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm, I'm in. I'm doing this. But then they kind of live two lives. There's one life where they're connected to God, and there's one life where they operate differently. And that happens today, does it not? Come on, church. Let's talk for a minute. Let's talk for a minute. Don't, don't you have kind of a, a way that you behave when you're in church and then another way that you behave sometimes when you're in other situations? Uh, maybe some of us do. 
James sees that, and he takes issue with it. So brace yourself, because what comes next is kind of rough. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers. Okay, whoa. Okay, easy, James. Easy does it there, Jimmy. Uh, You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, adulterers? Whoa, easy now. So let's, let's break that down. Let's unpack that. What is an adulterer? An adulterer is uh, someone who commits adultery. And what is adultery? Adultery is when you're married to this one, but you have an inappropriate relationship with this one. Could be physical, could be emotional. Uh, these are there are different types of affairs that people can get into. But you understand how that works, right? If, you, if you're married, married people in the room, is there somebody in your life that you would really prefer your spouse not be friends with? Let's don't make it awkward. Don't point. You don't have to nudge it. Like, just, just <laughs> let's... There's probably somebody who you're like, and, and maybe your spouse is like, oh, no, it's not, we're just friends. But you know there's a threat there. You know there's something under, like, just, this is, this is James looking at the early church and going, whoa, 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 tee up. You've pledged to, you, you've pl- made a pledge to God. You're, you're married to God. You've done, some, you've done business with the Lord, and now you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to do all this other stuff. Now, if you're, if you're new to church, First of all, these verses don't apply to you. If you would not self if you today would not necessarily self-identify as a believer, if you would not self-identify as a Christian, this is not for you. And if you are new, it may land, the, the language may land funny of, on you. When it says, well, you, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Well, aren't we supposed to be a friend of the world? Aren't we supposed to be friends with everybody? Aren't we supposed to be nice? You could look at it from that angle and get confused by it. That's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about being friendly. He's saying, you've got a a relationship with God that makes some of this other stuff inappropriate. If you're going to pledge life to God and you're going to receive forgiveness of your sins and walk like you're his, there's a bunch of stuff you can't also do. It makes you two-faced. It creates a dichotomy. It creates hypocrisy. You're saying one thing and doing another. Do you see where the adultery language is coming in now? You're saying one thing and you're doing another, so you've got to do a little self-examination. In the immortal words of the great philosopher and theologian, Ice Cube. (laughs) You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You feel me, church? That's what's going on, okay? So do a little little pulse check. Do Do a little interior search. Is there stuff in your life that you know shouldn't be there? Come on, could we have some courage today? Is there some stuff in your life that you know shouldn't be there? Is there some stuff in your life that you probably need to weed out? Is there some behavior that is actually not really compatible with your faith in God that you've just made room for in your life because you think it's no big deal? This is James calling that out. Now look it. I'm struggling with a bit of a temptation right now. My temptation is to land the plane and conclude this sermon. That felt like the end of the sermon, didn't it? Didn't that feel like the end of a message? You guys just go check yourself, check your heart, do your thing, don't wreck yourself, the Lord bless you and keep you, have a nice week. We could la- I could land the plane right there. 
But gang, I'm tempted to just skip over what James says next. But I'm not gonna. Listen, listen to what comes next. So humble yourselves, this is verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Well, there's a few Bible verses that are never going to make it onto a t-shirt. There's a few scripture verses that are never going to be on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker. Let there be sorrow. Let there be tears. Let there be deep grief. For what? For what you've done, says James. For what I've done. For what we've all done. For the places in our lives where we've been hypocritical. Could we just be adult enough? Could we be, could, could you, I'm hoping nobody here has their back up. There might be a few, well, I'm not, a, like you might, I'm not a hypocrite, I'm good. I'm like, you know, and if that's you, I'm glad you're good. You're probably in the wrong church, but I'm glad you're good. Like, but we're, we all struggle, I think, yes? We, we're, we're all broken. We all have this issue where we say one thing and do another. It's part of all of our lives. So now James is saying, look, Sometimes tears are appropriate. Sometimes weeping is appropriate. Sometimes sorrow is appropriate. Sometimes that's right to do that. And it's so tempting for me to just go, okay, just check yourself, do your thing, do a little self-examination. I wanted to include these verses because I think it's important. We don't talk about this enough. We don't talk about how from time to time we are called to be broken by our own fallenness. We're called at times to come to God in sorrow and go, look, I really, really screwed up and I need your forgiveness. When was the last time any of us wept over our own sin, our own brokenness, our own fallenness? Been a, been a minute maybe. So let's not walk in arrogance. It says... Humble yourself. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's approach the Lord in humility and just say, look, we're all broken. We've all fallen. Let's do a real self-evaluation. Take a look at the parts of your life where you're not honoring God, where, where there's things you know to do that you're not doing, things you know you need to stop doing that you're still doing, and take a look at those places and go, God, I'm sorry about this, and I want to do better. I know if I keep pursuing that, I'm just going to be inward focused. It'll be me, me, me. And I guarantee you, I promise you, the place where you're out of bounds with God is a place where you're just pursuing your own pleasure. And it will never fill you. It will never, ever, ever fill you up. Only in him and in his purpose for your life. To honor him and be a blessing to the world around you. Only in his purpose for your life will you be fully and finally satisfied. Full stop. May it be so in my life May it be so in all of our lives. We got one more week in the book of James. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the scriptures, which sometimes uh, get up in our face and make us a little uncomfortable, which sometimes it's tempting to just skip over. But we receive it and we're grateful. And we want to we we 
Be people of integrity. We don't want to be hypocritical. If we're saying we want to honor you with our lives, we want to honor you in every area of our lives. So, Father, where there is deviation, where there is something to call out, where there is repentance needed and a change needed, as James says, let there be tears, let there be weeping, let there be grief as we approach you broken and receive your forgiveness and a new start. May it be so for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.